Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Partial Historians. Yay. I wow, <laughs> crowd goes wild. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Dr. Greenfield. And I am your other host, Dr. Radford. <laughs> You're looking lovely today. So are you. Thanks. <laughs> All right, now let's get this love fest over with because we've got uh, serious matters uh, to talk about. <laughs> we've, got to talk, we've got to talk about war, the bitterness, the mm. loss. Oh, yes. I'm liking the way this is going. <laughs> <laughs> it is the world of Ridley Scott's gladiator. Ah, yes. Now, some people may feel that this is beneath us. Au contraire. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a rich topic. It is, because Gladiator is really the film that brought back the ancient Roman epic. Mm. Because it had died for a good few decades. Yeah, basically, in 1964, you have Anthony Mann's The Fall of the Roman Empire, which is actually, I think, quite an awesome movie in many ways. And ironically, The Fall of the Roman Epic. Yeah, exactly. And even weirder... Is that the fall of the Roman Empire is practically the same storyline as Gladiator, which was a huge surprise smash hit. Oh, what? I know, it's so weird. Everyone just flocked to see it. <laughs> just shows you what you can do once you've forgotten for a while. Yeah, I think the, fall, the problem with the fall of the Roman Empire, because Gladiator is kind of a bit of a love child, I like to think, between Spartacus and fall of the Roman Empire in its storyline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gladiator is the baby of that union. <laughs> But when we look at Gladiator and Fall of the Roman Empire, let's just say, I think the thing that was the problem with Fall of the Roman Empire is that being made in the 60s, Mm. they did things like build the Roman Forum. Like, really. Yeah, like for reals. Yeah, no, they did. In fact, it was so good, there was actually an encyclopedia that came and took photos of the set (laughs) for their entries on Rome. I'm not, I kid you not, Dr. G. So This is way better than the ruins in Rome, guys. Yeah, and basically they spent all this money on Fall of the Roman Empire, and I think Mm. there was a lot of corruption going on with the people spending the money, and I think the cost got out of hand. So it couldn't possibly make it back. Yeah. But Gladiator... Ah, we're entering well, a new era. Mm, mm. Mm. And what do you think has changed, Dr. G? Um, people have forgotten about Rome for a while. That, but also the fact that you can use like CGI and stuff. Oh, you know, yeah, like, like, like majorly cool. Digital yeah. effects. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, I mean, the story starts off, I mean, it's a, it's like a classic redemption tale, I suppose. Yes. Uh, a classic tale of revenge. Mm. Um, there's a lot of historical issues their sexual tension. Oh, really? Of the highest order. Really? <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... I, Maybe we should save that to last. Well, <laughs> I, it, it does have, it does have uh, roots in reality. I mean, there was an emperor called Marcus Aurelius. True. And he did have a son called Commodus. And a daughter yeah. called Lucilla. Oh. Mm. Or Lucilla. Mm. <laughs> that sounds rather sinister. You, you yeah. kill- Lucilla. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to call her that, but that's kind of her name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's yeah. go back to Lucilla. And, and, and yeah. she, does, she does have a husband, Varus... True. Um, and she does, well, she, so she does. She did conspire, we think, to kill Commodus, just not quite in the manner suggested by Gladiator. Yeah, and I think, mm. I think one of the things that's quite interesting at the, um, at the start of this film, we see yeah. that there's this vision of, I mean, Marcus Aurelius is the, is the old emperor, mm. clearly, physically. Um, <laughs> and, and we have that moment where Commodus sort of takes things into his own hands. Yes. And we do get a, a few... Literally smothering yeah. it with his own hands. Yeah. <laughs> it was a euphemism, yeah. my dear listeners. A euphemism. Um, it's brutal. It's cruel. Yeah. Uh, and and that moment is given some credence in our source material. Yes. And I just want to flag, I'm super excited because, <laughs> because this is 
the period in which Dio Cassius is living and breathing and writing his history. Um, he's not going to be the most objective observer of all time, I wouldn't think, but he was there. I've never seen anyone get quite so excited about Dio Cassius <laughs> before. <laughs> I've momentarily forgotten what we were talking about. <laughs> history, my friends. History. Yeah. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> well, it is exciting, and I suppose... Um, the interesting thing about Gladiator is that although it's reviving a sort of classic genre, mm. they do have to make some changes for the new audience, obviously. Um, the audience Incest is, is in. Yeah. <laughs> incest is in. And Christians are out. <laughs> <laughs> Forget Christians. Think incest. Yeah. Uh, but um, to replace that, usually when you have these epics, you know, that if you think of Quagladis and Ben-Hur, um, you have a dichotomy between pagans and Christians. Yes. Hence the appeal of the Julio-Claudian era. And mm. it, with something mm. like Spartacus, you at least have Romans and slaves. So you always have that, you know, for, against, blah, blah, blah. Gladiator, we're well and truly into the empire by now. You know, we're oh, talking... Look, and Christianity has a much stronger presence in in the empire... For sure. ...than, than in previous incarnations. Yeah. Like, something like Ben-Hur is set in the life of Christ. I mean, Christianity is in its very nascent state then, and yet it has more of a presence in that film yeah, than it, than does, it in does in this yeah. film, which is set in 180 AD and yes. the years that follow, where we know that there are underground Christian sects yes. that are expanding and starting to rise literature yes but I think they I think for some reason they felt like if that storyline was a bit old hat maybe it wouldn't appeal to uh, I mean films these days they're not just made you know in America sort of assuming that the American audience is going to be their main money maker and obviously international market was always important but it's probably more important these days than it was then um, at least with prestige films like Ben-Hur and so you have to have a different rivalry going on I suppose that will speak a little bit more widely maybe or just seem more modern and so they said this whole idea of republic versus empire which is hugely anachronistic um, but fascinating uh, it works though like you do have that real yeah but as as a historian watching a film that says tosh Dr. G <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm going to make my point anyway <laughs> You can rain on my parade in just a moment. Um, I'm gagging myself. But in in 180 AD, we're we're talking about Marcus Aurelius, who is at the very end of this line of what we know as the adoptive emperors. It's like this succession of uh, emperors who are adopting the next heir based on their apparent merits for the role and position. One might suggest that's a hugely sensible system. (laughs) Way more sensible than, say, just giving it to your son because he happens to be there. And yet Marcus Aurelius, who has quite a reputation for being, you know, wise Marcus Aurelius is a smart guy on so many levels and then not so smart when it comes to the real business. Because he lets it slip back into yeah. this. But then again... I mean, Marcus Aurelius is, a fa- is famous for being the philosopher emperor. Yeah. I mean, this guy thinks a lot. He's very smart in, in very particular ways. Yeah. But and he- uni students, you know, who wear hideously mismatching and unironed clothes often buy his meditations. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now I'm down with the cool kids. <laughs> um, but needless to say, like he's, he doesn't have it necessarily as a leader where it really counts. I mean, he encounters a lot of strife during his rule anyway, but he doesn't seem to make a determination that he should perhaps adopt somebody. No, but then to, this is a, to this take is... the position. He does leave it to his son. And, 
the source material, Dio is really sort of up yeah. in arms about this. I mean, Commodus is described as not being particularly evil, but simple-minded and naive enough to be led astray. Yeah, and not perhaps the best choice as not, other people would be. But then again, the and, and this is where I question, because I honestly can't remember the answer right now. It was more, the adoption thing started more out of necessity was it just necessity that kept it going? Or did these people actually have sons that they passed over for? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing was, you could just adopt somebody in and then yeah. then you'd place them higher up. But yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of necessity involved. Yeah, because I mean, for someone like, you know, Nerva, who really yeah, starts well, it off, he, he, he doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah. That man ain't got no options. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. Yeah, here, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a totally legitimate point. Yeah. Um, but certainly you've got this sort of, you've got form, if you like. Rome loves precedence. Sure. And there's a huge precedence. So he could, in other words, what we're supposed, I suppose what we're trying to say is that he could have chosen not to go with Commodus. Yeah. And the thing yeah. is that he was, he was essentially priming Verus. Mm-hmm. To, to take over. Sure. Uh, and this is a character who has almost no traction in the film whatsoever. Not really. Um, He's so a mention. I, a mention. A name. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I won't go down that path too much. We'll come back to the film. Yeah. Um, but Varys is the guy who was set up yeah. as as kind of the support network for Marcus Aurelius to sort of take over eventually yeah. and rule after that. Yeah. And so kind of functioning in that adoptive role. Yeah. But he dies before Marcus Aurelius. Sure. So that's the end of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, back to the film. Yeah. <laughs> I've had my segue now. I've had my segue. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, everything about the uh, the characterization of the the uh, historical Roman characters, I suppose I should mm. call them, um, is a little bit skew if I, I guess. I mean, Marcus really is, definitely comes across as this sort of wise philosopher emperor, and he's allowed to keep that image because, obviously, the Marcus Aurelius in the film is planning to restore the Republic. So it kind of explains away any messy... You know, reasoning over why would this wise emperor put a psychotic man in charge? Why would Commodus want to murder his father in his bed? Yeah, exactly. maybe because he's trying to restore the republic. <laughs> yeah, no, Marcus Aurelius is not trying to restore the republic, um, but you've got to have something there, and so you you set up this opposition between republic, which is considered to be uh, good system, the good yeah, system, yeah. Um, and like people there are groups of people involved in the running of it it clearly must be more egalitarian yeah it fits much more nicely with the idea of democracy even though it doesn't really function like one no uh, and well, then you have empire on the other hand which is commodus yeah mm. and that's the whole thing i think i think with rome on film up to this point people are familiar i mean particularly again because it's generally been pitched at american audiences mm. um the senate and the idea of the Republic has this association in film as being a sort of democratic option, even yeah, though yeah. it was the elite who were running <laughs> it, you know, back in the day. Um, and, and this is something that they really, they deliberately played on in Spartacus. They knew that wasn't the case, but they knew that the American people would see it as such if mm. they painted it in the right light. Yeah. And they were right. And they were right again here. It really does come across as this sort of, Almost, yeah. I mean, you do have your elitists in there, like Gracchus, who works for the people, but he's clearly upper class. But it de- certainly has more of a democratic feel. To yeah, it. and I think uh, Gladiator does it quite well in the sense that yeah. Maximus becomes 
the sort of representation for yes, the, the, the Republican the, movement. Yeah, and the values. Like. The values, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he becomes a trope, if you like, for all of the old world Republican values. The fact yes. that he's a farmer yeah. and he wants to get back to the land and he yeah. doesn't want to be a general anymore. Absolutely. Well, I've, uh, I've actually even heard very... parallels drawn between him and Cincinnatus. Oh yes, yeah. In the in the sense that he is uh, meant to be, you know, the the farmer turned general who mm. was this ultimate example of reminability, and that he goes to war when needed and then retires. Yeah, when yeah. no longer needed. I mean, this is something that is part of is so embedded in the rhetoric of the republic. Yes, uh, that it, it, the morality. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, the Romans kind of set that up themselves. You have to admit. I mean, the oh, later yeah. historians, they do hark back to the Republic as this golden age. You can't really yeah, blame yeah. people from thinking that too. Mm. Um, and also, I think, I mean, Gladiator, like with pretty much any ancient historical film, and really historical films in general, but let's stick with the ancient ones. <laughs> it's about a lot more than just, you know, what the, you know, the storyline is telling you. It's not just the narrative about Rome. It's not just about appealing to the audience for entertainment's sake. Mm. All ancient historical films are affected by the politics around them. We looked at it with Spartacus. Oh, yeah. With the whole communist thing that was happening and the personalities involved. We looked at it with Ben-Hur in that it was based on a novel that was, um, you know, set in this sort of mix of cultures which might have been the inspiration for, you know, the Jerusalem um, of the Ben-Hur film um, and all that kind of stuff. There's always that kind of thing going on. Um, And when it comes to Gladiator, what is going on? And for some people, it's perhaps a bit of an analogy about how, you know, particularly maybe having a go at the American populace, I suppose, but I suppose a lot of populaces these days, that they're so easily sidetracked by entertainment and by fame. Mm. Whereas... You know, the actual politics, which is actually going to affect their lives and affect destinies, they don't care about. Yeah, yeah. That might be one of the messages. You've been distracted by the fluff. Absolutely. All the bread and circuses. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And also even, um, I mean, Gladiator, one of the other reasons why I say it's the love child of Spartacus and fall of the Roman Empire is that (laughs) much like Spartacus, it actually had a really troubled production history, which you wouldn't really guess, I don't think, from looking at the finished product. Unlike Spartacus, where you can kind of see the unevenness still. Mm. Gladiator, I think, is a reasonably polished product, but it started out as something completely different. Mm. Um, and it, it had, it, they actually started filming without the script finished, again, like Spartacus. Oh, no. Yeah, and it went through a lot of rewrites <laughs> in order to get it right, to get the story structure right. But at, you know, at a lot of points, they were thinking of it as an analogy to the modern sports scene. You know, like yep. with these yep. ridiculously overpaid and famous sports stars who mm. are just idolized by the crowds, you know, who, yeah, yeah. who follow them so closely. Yeah. I'm going to the arena and I'm seeing Maximus. Exactly. Maximus. Maximus. Yeah. And look, there's some really interesting symbolism that I think comes mm. through right from the early opening scenes of this film as yeah. well. And we see the general. And we have Maximus. Hello, Russell Crowe. Um, <laughs> that was well, back in the day. That's back, back in the day, day when he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I haven't been so impressed since then. Sorry, Russell. No. Um, but this uh, progression of him through the soldiers, like he's on the ground and he's interacting with them, and he's carrying uh, his symbolism, uh, the way that his armor is constructed. There mm. is the symbol of the wolf. 
yes. uh, on the front of the breastplate. And, yeah. and not only that, he's followed around by a dog which resembles to a certain degree a small wolf. Sure. And there Too is dangerous this... to use a real one. <laughs> <laughs> FYI. Maybe. Yeah. Small yeah. baby wolf. Um, <laughs> this idea that... The wolf of that, Rome. That visually, mm. yeah, that, that Maximus represents the founding yes. of, of Rome on some level and is symbolic for the beginning of that city-state and the rise of it. And it's perhaps the pinnacle, like, military power equals Rome. Yes. Um, and the tale of the wolves is one of those foundation stories for yes. the city. So you, it's a nice woven-in sort of thing, sort of foreshadowing his significance. Not that you wouldn't have guessed that already from the opening scenes. Oh, for sure. But just yes. reinforcing that connection to that Roman ideology. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that the decorations on his breastplate change, reflecting mm. his... His changing status. You know? mm. um, so, you know, at various points, you know, there are the horses that he talks about. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know. <laughs> oh, the horses. And I like yeah. the fact that he's a Spaniard. And it doesn't seem to matter where he goes, everybody knows. Yeah. And it's like, there's no getting away from the fact that that's the Spaniard. Yes. <laughs> oh, the periphery coming into the center. That's the way what it goes. A- country <laughs> something about the way he speaks perhaps yeah. I think Gladiator is perhaps um, surprisingly I guess given how how late it's made um, mm. we didn't really get into it with Ben-Hur because it's not necessarily particularly pertinent I suppose for that film but it is for other films of that era like Quervadis um, there's often this uh Symbolism where the Romans kind of stand in for the fascists which the Americans mm. have just uh, helped Um, And so, you know, often, you know, the whole, the triumph scenes, all that kind of stuff is very reminiscent of either Mussolini or Hitler. Mm. Um, And you perhaps would have expected such analogies between the Romans and the fascists to maybe have passed over. But I guess because the fascists kind of drew those links themselves, it's not like, it's not like people, I mean, obviously you've got the Third Reich. Oh, yeah. Hitler was obviously drawing on them. Mussolini was drawing on them. They wanted to have that association with Rome. Um, so mm. I guess it's it's a link that will never go away because it is actually a real link. Um, and Gladiator makes use of this whole Romans as Nazis symbolism as well mm. in that you have the Praetorians, I'm sure you notice their uniforms. Ooh. They're hard to spot. Mm. The Praetorian Guard wearing um, all black. <laughs> um, and then you also have uh, Commodus's triumphal entry into Rome. Mm-hmm. It is deliberately, as in I'm not analysing this too much, this is actually something Ridley Scott has said, he based that scene very closely, like almost shot for shot, off Lenny Riefenstahl's triumph of the will shot Um of, uh, you know, sort of the famous... Nazi Germany. Exactly, yeah. It is. It's very closely linked. Um, now, whether that's because he just liked the fact that she was a talented camera woman or whether he's trying to draw out this sort of Nazi link again is anyone's guess. Oh, look, it's a very subtle parallel, but yeah. it's obviously giving you that sort of vibe. Yeah. And, and by the time we get... I mean, Commodus takes on the aspects of the of the sort of... The the figure insane who, yeah, yeah. The, figure, the figure who with absolute power cannot be questioned yeah um, it, and he's oh, I mean there's uh, there's so many there's the telltale I, again there's sort of classic elements running through this that we've talked about before with sort of classic elements to show that a Roman is bad <laughs> that he's well, sexually perverse well it, yeah, yeah yeah so so now that it's a Roman on Roman story and yeah. not a Roman versus Christian story it's like how do we delineate between Good Romans yes. and bad Romans. Well, yes. obviously, good Romans are Republican Romans. Yes. Um, like Gracchus. Yeah. And interestingly, he's named Gracchus. Yeah. Like the Gracchus who was the Democratic, and I'm again putting my 
yeah. little quotation marks up I in Spartacus, was like, which was drawn a, from a Gracchus, the Gracchi brothers. Really, yeah. you guys, you guys, it is like be a little bit Tradition. more original. Traditions. Uh. <laughs> you like Rome? Traditions mean something to Rome too. <laughs> Traditions mean something to Roman film. They as it do. Turns out they as totally well. do. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, we've got that on the one hand, and then. So how do you distinguish a bad Roman? Well, a bad Roman is somebody who wants absolute power. Mm. A bad Roman is somebody who's interested in incest. He's and also not necessarily interested in... Either he's interested in governing, as in he wants the power. He's not interested in the actual day-to-day affairs which keep the empire running smoothly. He just wants to be loved by the people yeah. and feel like the big man. But, you know, I feel like they've missed a little bit of a trick with this film as well. I mean, Commodus does come across as this sort of malevolent uh, figure in Gladiator, mm. for sure. But I think... There are some aspects that they could have brought in from the historical sources. It would have added even more impact, if oh, you like. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, they didn't pick up the Hercules thing too yeah, much. Well, not too much. Not until <laughs> yeah. right near the end. Yeah. Um, but certainly he wanted to be known as Hercules. This was one of his popular things. He actually had Rome renamed during his rule. Mm. Um, it was called the Immortal Fortunate Colony of the Whole Earth. <laughs> um, delightful. Uh, he had a tendency or uh, penchant, I suppose, for gold statuary. Mm. Had a large one. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Representing him together with a bull and a cow. Mm. Mm. Don't want to miss anything. Yes. I suppose, actually, interestingly, that's where Fall of the Roman Empire does a much better job than Gladiator. Oh, because really? The, They're the, following the sources here. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, it's not entirely that. But, yeah, the commoners of Fall of the Roman Empire is very much in keeping with, yeah, that, those kinds of... Sources. Yeah, and it, you get the sense from Gladiator as well is that that we're looking at a very short time period that yes. Commodus does not rule for long, which is, which not, is true. Yeah. not not really true. He does yeah. rule for about twelve years. Yeah, uh, a long so, time to hate someone. <laughs> yeah, quite a long time. Yeah. And and the idea that he is participating in the games in the arena is something that there is a suggestion of in our source sure. material as yeah. well. Absolutely. Um, Dio mentions that he used to contend as a gladiator, mm. um, often in his own home. Um, so <laughs> Why go out when you can stay in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so not necessarily performing for large crowds, but certainly killing people in his own home mm. uh, for gladiatorial sport. How convenient. Mm. Um, he and sliced also... off the noses of some, mm. the ears of others, and sundry features <laughs> of still others. <laughs> I don't know what else, what other features are protruding that you can but, cut off. But in a deviation from the film, yes. in public, Dio says he refrained from using steel and shedding human blood. Ah, yes, human blood. But didn't he go on hunting sprees? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He used to, yeah, wild beasts. Yeah. Uh, and the hunts took place both privately and publicly. You don't score any points with me with that one, Commodus. Yeah, <laughs> and he also, he also was a keen charity charioteer mm. so which also was not looked a, upon as a that, particularly dignified well interestingly no not really no yet Ben Hur um, well oh yeah yeah sure film wise but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay when it's on film exactly but yeah you're right they, they, they could have made more I suppose out of his uh, his role in that respect but I guess they mm. had to be careful because Maximus is going to be condemned to being a gladiator yeah. Maybe they wanted to keep a bit of distance between them, you know, character wise. I don't know. Yes. I'm, I'm speculating with that one. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, perhaps. Yeah. Um, like, there's lots of like little interesting details in Gladiator, which I quite like. This idea that you have the wooden sword, which details yes. your freedom yep. and things like this. Something they pick up on in the Spartacus series. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
this idea that somehow you can lay plans as a gladiator while you're locked away <laughs> un- under the Colosseum <laughs> and, and just have some senators visit you and maybe conspire. It's a, that's a little bit more far-fetched, I have to admit. Um, but and you do... I mean, we talked about this before, I think, when we talked about sex in room. You do have these um, stories. Admittedly, probably exaggerated. Mm. Yes, they are completely over the top. But you do have these stories about upper-class women... Oh, having yeah. affairs with gladiators. So, hmm? Hmm? Yeah, and I guess this is where there's an interesting deviation um, in terms of the, the character relationships within Gladiator. It yes. seems to me highly unlikely that somebody of Maximus's ilk as a general yes. would necessarily be of enough, uh, so entrenched in the family of the emperor um, right. to have had a dalliance earlier on with the sister and yeah before he'd risen to before he'd heights. risen to yeah. prominence yeah. and it's like the career of a general is a long hard slog yeah. of at least 20 years of field work um, mm. like uh, he'd been a teenager when yeah like yeah. He, he's clearly not a career politician who yes. has been promoted into those sorts of roles he yeah. as the as the Spaniard he yes. seems to have like, worked his way up. Yeah, yeah, the history seems to be he's got that like that farm in the middle of wherever. Yeah, uh, its the location is not clear. <laughs> Spain, um, Spain, Spain, <laughs> Spain, of course. Um, but this idea that that he doesn't come from a prominent family, he's mm. just a farmer. He yep. wants to go home to his wife. Yeah, this is a guy who's worked hard to get through the ranks. This is not somebody who is likely to have had yes really close relations with. What is essentially a very palace-driven yes. imperial family. I see family. where you're coming from. I do see where you're coming from. Um, I guess, I guess the um, that having that previous relationship with uh, Lucilla mm. gives their relationship that extra frisson, if oh, you will. Yeah, <laughs> because don't come and visit me again. <laughs> Gladiator is unusual uh, in the sense that you don't you don't really have your typical romances going on. <laughs> um, to add that that. No. Part of the storyline. Um, no. You know, I think I've mentioned this before, in that Maximus being a, a married man when we first meet him, he there kind of has to be a problem in his relationship in order for us to feel comfortable, I suppose, maybe yearning for him as, as we are supposed to. Luckily, his family dies very early exactly. on. Exactly. Um, but it's also the fact that, you know, you really... For these sorts of films, you generally do have to have that romantic element mm. in the story to make it... You know, Something's got to counterbalance yeah, the, the, the darkness. Politics, yeah. And hence why, I mean, I think it's often said that it seems like Lucilla is the only woman in Rome. <laughs> because... <laughs> Pretty much. She, yeah, she ends up really essentially being there so that there is some sexual tension happening. Interestingly, with her own brother, as well as with Maximus. Um, but there was talk of even getting rid of her quite early on well much earlier on than she obviously she ends up surviving the film sorry spoilers I always, say, I always say spoilers too late she ends up surviving but there was this idea of executing her as communists did execute Lucilla the actual historical Lucilla when mm. he found out she was plotting against him but the fe- the only female producer to work on this film was horrified at this suggestion and said you can't she's the only female character in the story are you insane do you really want to turn off all of the women exactly yeah she said you can't do this and so luckily we have this lucilla who is you know intertwined in the politics as well as not you know she's not just there for romance 
Well, she's clearly traumatized by what's going on around her. Yeah, um, I don't blame her. <laughs> and she doesn't really have many uh, recourses left to her, but no. she does have senatorial relationships. Yes. And, and she's clearly a power broker in her own right. She yes. does a lot to facilitate the organization of the quasi-rebellion yes. that, that attempts to happen. Uh, yeah, and she's kind of meant to be a bit of a... Uh, role model I suppose for modern women in that she's don't sleep with your brother yeah yeah that's a good lesson to learn you gotta learn that early on look after your children yeah well that's exactly it she's a mother but she kind of has a career of sorts <laughs> um, she's also she's... trying to have a love life it's not really working well for her but she's trying she's, you know, she's like a you know, modern woman kind of trying to juggle a lot of things and yeah, and, she drops yeah. the balls, but <laughs> and and you do get this suggestion from uh, her father as well. Um, yeah, these lines she... from Marcus Aurelius yeah. that he kind of wished that she'd just been born a boy. Yeah, which is from a Roman perspective, historically as a precedent, <laughs> has a lot of traction as being a huge compliment. Yeah, uh, for us, however, <laughs> it seems like a backhanded compliment. It's a very backhanded compliment, <laughs> but it's the only one the Romans seem to offer women. Yeah, and so you can understand that. I, I have no problem with that. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, the the set piece death of Commodus, mm. tragic though it is. Um, hate to break it to you, people, but that's not quite how he died. It was it was far less illustrious and showy than that. It seems to be based around palace intrigue. Well, this is where I suppose the the earlier scripts of Gladiator come in because originally they did have a character called Narcissus who was going to assassinate Commodus. Oh, how um, delightful! Indeed. That would have been more in keeping with the with the yeah, history. exactly. Which is um, kind of what ends up happening to Commodus in that he is assassinated is it in his bathtub. I think. Well, no, in no. Gladiator. No, like he dies. No, 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 no. In uh, in the sources. Oh, it's in the bathtub, sources. Uh, well, yeah, well, it's unfortunate. I can't yeah. remember to be honest. Yeah, I think it's in his bathtub. Let his... me look through my notes. <laughs> I have some notes. I think here with the that. help of his then mistress or wife, oh. he ends up getting strangled by a wrestler or <laughs> narcissist or something. I don't know. But yeah, he ends up getting assassinated at the end of it, rather than dying in combat in a fixed fight <laughs> in, in the arena. In a fixed fight. Well, yes. Yeah. But I mean, he's so evil in Gladiator, and yet there is that element of uh, he's not just a two-dimensional bad guy like you get with a bit with, like, your masalas of earlier films because they do try and give him a bit of, um, I suppose, psychoanalytical treatment Mm. in that it seems that his problems stem from the way he was raised, from his difficult relationship with his father, of never feeling like he was living up to... Oh, daddy. I know. it (laughs) it It does seem to be like that, and it seems also as though because, you know, his mother is really never mentioned, and Lucilla seems to be a I think, in him. a way, the uh, the representation of Commodus in this film is kind of a triumph of Joaquin Phoenix's talent as an actor because this yes. this character could have been overplayed completely. Um, yeah. He could have been uh, it, sort of tongue yeah, in cheek. Totally. Uh, there are so many ways that this character could have gone wrong, given the script. If you just read the script, yes, um, it seems a bit overdone. The lines yeah. that he has, yeah, uh, incredibly melodramatic at yes. times, and yet. Joaquin Phoenix plays him with a with a really understated uh, kind of intensity, which yeah. which allows you to sort of believe, believe yeah. that that Commodus could be real. Um, and I don't think many people could have pulled it off. Um, and yes, getting to the point of um, the death of, of, of Commodus. Yes, yeah. yes, I have my notes here. Nice. He's removed through an intrigue, and so there's a few people involved. 
the wrestler, Narcissus, uh-huh. strangled him in his bath uh-huh. after poison had not worked. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, it's a... Uh, Bit of a. No, I wasn't too bit, far off the mark. Bit yeah. of a bit of a problem. Let's no. uh, poison the man. Doesn't seem to be dying. It would have been a bit of an, an anticlimactic finish, though. I think I would imagine him, so. Yeah, to have him strangled rather than have Although, that final kind of like a poetic circularity to the story. <laughs> That's true, actually. Because of course, I mean, I suppose this is going a bit back. To, it's kind of taking us back to the beginning again. But there, there are rumors in our sources that are reported that Commodus did have something to do with Marcus Aurelius's death. But not in the sense that he was reported to have strangled him. Or not that he him. was physically involved himself, no. but that he was advising the physicians that were looking after Aurelius. Yes, and they did Commodus a favor. Yeah. What does that mean? But I think even, yeah, yeah, I think the sources even say that they doubt that this actually happened. You know, um, so it's probably one of those things where people <laughs> like to believe the worst of someone once they've shown the bad side of their character. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah. Quite possible. Possibly. Indeed. Well, well on, I think, I think on that note. I think it's a pretty thorough talk yeah. about Gladiator. All in all, I think, even though I know it was panned by, the, uh, by a lot of critics, it was beloved by the populace and beloved by myself. I look, I, I really quite enjoyed this mm. film. Um, I felt it had a lot to offer historically. It is um, intensely watchable as well. <laughs> which really is the main thing, I think, about these films. It's all very Despite well and, its flaws. Yeah, it's all very well and good to find its flaws. Um, but it's not... That's not what the audience goes for. Oh, look, you wouldn't want to ever get to that point in life where you don't enjoy something just because it's wrong. Exactly. And Gladiator is so wrong. Yes. And well, I still like it. Embracing wrongness, this is the Partial Historians, <laughs> signing off. Farewell. Farewell.